My name's Aaron Cerise. What you're about to hear is a summary of the first arc of Super Idols RPG, a narrative play podcast about a group of superpowered teenagers trying to become pop idols. This arc covers episodes 1 to 19, released from June 20th, 2020 to June 13th, 2021. Super Idols RPG takes place in an alternate version of the modern world, where many musicians and musical performers are able to draw upon a special kind of magic powered by their creative passions. Those who wield this type of musical magic are often called Super Idols, or simply Idols for short. Most Super Idols use their powers to enhance their performances and bring joy to their fans. Others use them to help the world or protect innocent people from threats. Some choose to become threats themselves as they use their powers and talents for nefarious purposes. The music industry in this world can be just as cutthroat as the one in ours. And with magic in the mix, band drama can really go off the charts. The setting of our story is Cadence, British Columbia, Canada. In this world, the super idol phenomenon first began in the mid to late 2000s, and Cadence was one of the first cities in North America to start catering to these powerful new performers. Now, about 15 years on, Cadence has become one of the biggest hotspots in the super idol world, on par with the likes of Hollywood and New York City. The story proper began in September 2020. In this world, the COVID-19 pandemic never happened, thank goodness. It was the first week of school for the students of Fort McNally High a small, unimpressive school in the south end of Cadence. The school's idol club had always been small and unimpressive to match, but surely that was nothing a fresh batch of plucky young upstarts couldn't fix if they put their minds to it. The first meeting of the 2020 Fort McNally Idol Club introduced us to a few of our major players. Most notably... My name is Dana Lexa, she, her pronouns, and I will be playing Valerie Pierce, a grade 10 student at Fort McNally High. She's a trans girl, about medium height, and she has black hair and a short bob that falls over her right eye. She dresses like a pretty standard high school goth. Lots of black and mesh t-shirts, jean shorts over fishnets, dark makeup, the whole deal. Valerie's always wanted to be rich and famous. To be adored to have other people envy her like she envies other idols. However, despite her best efforts to become an idol herself, she never managed to gain any powers. That is, until this past summer. There had always been rumors about Rain Shadow Records, that their contracts were some of the most draconian in the business, that their top idol, Mary Rain, was a nightmare to work with, that some of their connections and funding sources were shady, to put it lightly. But the biggest rumor about them? was that somehow they could just give idols superpowers. Desperate for powers and a foot in the door, Valerie recently chased down this rumor and found herself in a meeting with the executives at Rain Shadow Records. By the end of that meeting, Valerie agreed to sign with the label and received a set of powers from Mary Rain herself. Shape-shifting, telekinesis, psychic constructs. It was more than she could ever have imagined. Valerie was overjoyed. However, Turned out, the other rumors about Rain Shadow were true as well. 
Valerie's idol persona, the gothic Lolita-styled Violence Violet, or Vivi for short, is now the legal intellectual property of Rain Shadow Records, Inc. Any use of the Violence Violet image or name not approved of by the label can result in serious repercussions for Valerie, up to and including being stripped of her powers and blacklisted from the industry for life. If she doesn't sing and dance to exactly the tune Rain Shadow wants, Valerie's career as an idol is doomed. And after Valerie, we next met... My name is T, they, them pronouns, and I will be playing Evangeline Blake, or Angie, to her friends. She's a very tall and twiggy girl with some muscle definition from years of dance training. She has long blonde hair, often done up in a ponytail, and wears a lot of very fashionable dresses. Or, well, they were fashionable anyway. For most of her life, Angie's parents were wealthy business people in Cadence. They made more than enough money to keep their little girl in all the Gucci and Versace she wanted, and they paid for all her very, very expensive dance lessons. Ballet, tango, hip-hop, swing, she's done it all and more. And with the discovery of her powers, super strength, and minor fireworks effects, Angie was set to transfer to Starview Academy and begin her illustrious career as a dance idol. And then her parents had to go and screw it all up by getting caught. As it turns out, Mr. and Mrs. Blake had been embezzling money from their employers for many, many years. And the employers did not take kindly to that. They took the Blakes to court, sued them for literally all they were worth, and left the family with almost nothing. Great. Just. Great. Needless to say, Angie hasn't been thrilled with all this, but all things considered, she has made the best of things. After her first year of public school at Fort McNally, she developed a little clique with some of the school's other most popular girls, with herself at the center. She may be wearing last season's Gucci, but hey, it's better than what everyone else is wearing, right? Anyway, last year, Angie tried joining the Fort McNally Dance Club and found them wanting, let's say. She tried to develop her idol persona, basically just a flashier version of herself called Bane Raven, but unfortunately, practice sessions were inconsistent thanks to other members being flaky and not taking the club seriously. Now, as she heads to grade 11, Angie has decided to give the idol club a try. It's a long shot, but who knows? Maybe this will be the thing that lets her burst the Blake family name back into relevancy like a bull charging through the fence of temporary financial hardship and into the wide-open pastures of fuck you, I'm rich again. Also present at this first meeting was Cynthia, a mysterious but unassuming transfer student, originally played by Michelle, who unfortunately was not able to play with us beyond the first couple of episodes. I'm just gonna kind of keep an eye out, see what everyone's doing. I'm a loner. Uh, oh, uh, so you heard about that, um, you know, the Idol Club? Yeah, I saw the flyer. I'm interested in checking it out. Are you in the club? No, no, I, I thought, um, maybe I'd, I'd check it out, you know, it seems like, uh, they could probably use more members, you know, flyers seem pretty, pretty desperate, so, I Yeah. Do you want to check it out together? Um, yeah, I'm sure if you're, if you're going in, I guess I... May as well, too. Yeah, sure. Let's check it out. And there was also... Karen. Um, Karen, have you ever danced before? Hmm, 
Dancing's nice, isn't it? Yeah, have you done it? Who can say in this world, you know, man? Okay, next question. Um, any singing ability? I believe anyone can sing if they try. <sighs> Lastly, there was Diana, a girl with a quick temper who was eager to get straight to work practicing and honing the club's skills. Unfortunately for her, and everyone really, the outgoing club president, Amberly, had other plans. Directing the club through a series of handwritten notes planted around the school, Amberly sent the group on a scavenger hunt looking for clues that would point them to the location of their club room for the year. This went over about as well as most forced icebreaker activities tend to go, awkwardly and with much barely concealed irritation. Along the way, Valerie revealed her tendency to keep secrets and act in her own self-interest by breaking off from the group and finding one of the clues on her own. Angie revealed her tendency to take charge by picking up the nearest clipboard and leading the rest of the group around the school like little ducklings. Cynthia revealed in a meeting with her aunt in the school parking lot that there was more shady activity going on in her life than anyone knew about. Diana didn't so much reveal her frustrations as she did make them loud and clear throughout the proceedings. And Karen was Karen. Eventually, the group met their club advisor, Ms. Doyle, the music teacher, and she pointed them to their club room at long last. There, the group met up with Amberly, who revealed that Karen was actually a veteran member of the Idol Club that she had sent along with the group in case they got lost. This was the straw that broke Diana's back, and she started yelling at Amberly about wasting everyone's time. Whatever we, we got here, are we, are we actually gonna do any practice? Um, and in the middle of all this, Diana just, like, puts her foot down, and she is- she's had enough at this point. She clenches a fist and says, Do you know- do you have any idea how much time you've wasted? We- you just said we don't have any time. We could have been- we could have been warming up. We could have been picking songs to cover. We could have been brainstorming routine ideas. Anything useful instead of you having us run around the school doing sweet fuck all! And Amberly just shrugs and goes, oh, I'm, I don't know. This seemed like a pretty good warm-up to me. Y'all look like you worked up a pretty good sweat. Angie just looks unimpressed. Diana continues then. She says, well, what good is all of that if we can't work on our performance skills, we need to be working on our techniques from day one. I was saying to these, to all of you earlier, how competitive the inter-high circuit is. It's not a joke. Oh wait, I forgot. That's fitting, cause your club is a fucking joke, isn't it? McNally has never won anything in any live competitions. God, can't imagine why that might be. Maybe they should enter the uh, puzzle competition instead, since that's apparently what the club is for. You don't seem to be able to handle stress very well. I'm handling it very well! Diana soon became furious enough to transform into her super idol form, a moon-themed archer named Lady Luminous. Valerie transformed in kind to defend Amberly, becoming the elegant gothic Lolita, Violence Violet. Angie wasn't far behind her, transforming into the fiery, fashionable street dancer, Bane Raven. Cynthia hung back from the conflict with Karen, 
and the two shared a bag of popcorn as they watched the three super idols have a minor clash with their powers. The fight was short, but informative. With a slip of the tongue, Lady Luminous revealed that she was actually a student from Fort MacArthur Academy, the neighboring private school to Fort McNally. You're, you're not even... You, you don't... She doesn't even go here. <laughs> I'm so glad someone took the bait. <laughs> Diana had originally intended to take over the McNally Club and destroy it from the inside, knocking a potential rival to MacArthur out of the running for the year. Everyone rightly pointed out that this was a silly and convoluted plan, especially considering that McNally had never been a threat to MacArthur in the past. Diana admitted that she also thought the plan had been silly, but that the MacArthur Club president had insisted it was necessary. Valerie and Angie both agreed that, instead of focusing on elaborate schemes, Diana ought to instead focus on her strong work ethic and bring that over to the members of her own club. Angie, in particular, suggested that Diana should attempt to coup over at Fort MacArthur, and Valerie agreed, encouraging Diana to become the new club president there. Diana took this suggestion distressingly well. In any case, with Diana out of the picture and Amberly moving on to university, yes, she doesn't go here either, that left Valerie, Angie, Cynthia, and Karen as the sole remaining members of the Fort McNally Idol Club. Valerie and Angie agreed to share the role of club president, and Karen was content to remain the club's laid-back cheerleader. Yay! The four members met again the next day to firm up their activities and goals, deciding that they should start by showing off each other's musical and dance styles, and figuring out how to incorporate them into a group act. The next day, however, when Valerie and Angie showed up to the club room, Ms. Doyle informed them that Cynthia had been called away on urgent family business. This was disorienting enough, but it only became more so with the arrival of three prospective new club members, including... My name is Drac, he, him pronouns, and I'll be playing Jaden Lott, a new grade 11 transfer student from the UK. He's a sweet boy, about 5'10", black, with curly hair and a high top fade, and has the air of a giddy excitable fanboy. He's often seen sporting idol themed shirts and accessories, and will absolutely talk your ear off about his favourite groups if you let him. He grew up sharing music with his little sister. The two of them played at being idols and sang their favourite songs together whenever they could. This was just the kind of escape from reality the two of them needed given the way their family often struggled. But not exactly poor, the Lot family has always just barely gotten by many thanks to the hard work of Jaden's mum and dad. When Jaden was about 10 years old, he saw his dad pass out from being overworked. It was then that he decided, maybe if he could become an idol, he could help support his family and make sure they never have to work so hard again. Years later, at the age of 15, Jaden's power was finally manifested. He and his little sister were singing along to their favourite band, and something in that moment just felt... right. He felt the music so deeply in his soul that it seemed to literally burn within him. And, in fact, it did. Jaden transformed into Elementum for the first time and let forth an uncontrolled burst of flames, accidentally burning his sister in the process. While she wasn't badly hurt, Jaden still feels guilty about that incident to this day. Still, now that he had powers, Jaden decided he was ready to take the next step towards his idle dreams. 
He spent the next year in chain saving up his allowance and money from odd jobs here and there, all so they could buy a plane ticket to Cadence, the heart of the super idol world. He has an aunt in Cadence, a kindergarten teacher named Jen Corsair, who lives in the Fort McNally area. Now that he has the money, Jaden has made the move, leaving his parents and little sister behind in the UK for the time being. He's promised them that he'll make them all proud someday. That soon, they'll see his name up in lights, shining brighter than the brightest Nova. And alongside Jaden, there was also... My name is Luca, he they pronouns, and I will be playing Queen Bee. No, she does not have any other identity. What nonsense are you talking about? She's exactly what you see. A tall, confident young woman, her hair is jet black and cut in a sharp chin-length bob with a fade in the back. She's white with slightly tanned skin and her eyes are grey with dark smoky makeup and a small beauty mole under her right eye. She wears a short black and gold jacket with a pattern that suggests stripes, along with a fitted black turtleneck, black leggings, high-heeled black boots and a few thin gold necklaces around the neck. And that's definitely all there is to Queen Bee. Again, why do you keep asking if there's more? Queen Bee is Queen Bee. Sorry to kill your buzz, honey, but you just have to get used to the sting of disappointment. Of course, that was not all there was to Queen Bee. The gang didn't know it yet, but actually... So it turns out that maybe there is a little more to Queen Bee that missed the eye. Alan Mikuchi is a skinny teen with pale skin, grey eyes, a mole under the right eye and short light brown hair. They've always been an unassuming kid, uncomfortable in the spotlight. It's not that they don't love performing, dancing most of all, but criticism has always hit them harder than it does for most. Never mind that Alan has been struggling a bit with the whole gender thing as well, which makes people's criticism of their image hurt that much more. How fortunate then that Alan's powers just recently manifested. The ability to transform into someone else has been like a wish come true. Alan can now create an alternate persona for themselves, a way they can perform and hone their craft without feeling ridiculed. Maybe they can even build up the kind of superstar confidence that they could only dream about before. Still, being an idol isn't going to solve all of Alan's problems in an instant. They have a lot of commitment to keep up with outside the idol club. Schoolwork, chores, a part-time job, and most important of all, they are a long-time member of the Fort McNally Environmental Club. Like the ancient Janus of Meat, Alan passes through a door between lives, hoping anxiously that they can keep everything in balance. The last member to arrive was Anne DeVille, originally played by Maria Fanning. Like with Cynthia, Anne unfortunately only got to play with us for a few episodes, but she made quite an impression upon arrival. Her idol form was that of an eight-foot-tall stone golem in a leather jacket, a form she had gotten stuck in after staying in it for too long. To be fair, even before she became what she is now, Anne caught an intimidating figure. She was what you'd call a punk. She did the headbanging, had a mohawk of a different colour every month, got in trouble at school all the time, and ran to the beat of her own drum. Still, she didn't run when she realised she was a girl. When she had to scrape and claw to get enough money for her first guitar. And she's not right now that things are a bit more rocky, so to speak. Most of her bandmates abandoned her after the change. 
So, started thinking, maybe I should look for others like me. Others with power. Maybe they won't run away from me. So, this trio of kids seemed even more strange and mismatched than the initial members. Yet, Valerie, Angie, and Karen seemed to find a quick rapport with them. Everyone was immediately taken by Jaden's enthusiasm, and after he transformed into his steampunk-inspired idol form, Elementum, he showed off his magic and drumming skills to the delight of all. Queen Bee performed a sharp, polished dance solo and showed off her wall-walking and bee-summoning powers, with only one person almost getting stung in the face. Anne ended up being quieter and more of a dork than she appeared at first glance, and she demonstrated incredible skill on her electric guitar. And Karen waved light sticks throughout the meeting. As always, Karen's gonna Karen. Eventually, after discussions of music, stagecraft, and disco bees, don't ask, Ms. Doyle arrived with a sudden announcement. The club had a gig. What? Apparently, Valerie's label, Rain Shadow Records, had called to inform them that there was an opening at a popular downtown music club called The Stormlight, and they were being invited to take this opening. It was just an amateur hour slot, but at a venue of The Stormlight's caliber, it was still a big deal, especially for a club that's barely existed for three days. The only condition on the club getting the slot was that Violence Violet, Valerie, needed to receive top billing for the show, as she was the main artist that Rain Shadow wanted to promote. After some initial hesitance, the group agreed that the opportunity was worth it and accepted the offer. The club members planned to meet again on the weekend to begin practice for the gig. When they arrived at the school on Saturday, Jaden revealed that he had been so inspired by his first club meeting that he had composed a song for the group the previous night. Nerves unfortunately prevented him from playing it the best that he could, but the group was nonetheless impressed that he had written something like that so fast. At that moment, the door to the club room burst open, revealing none other than Diana, along with two other members of the Fort MacArthur Idol Club named Rosette and Ashley. Apparently, Valerie and Angie's suggestion had gone over very well for Diana. She had convinced enough of her fellow club members to oust the old president and hand the title over to her instead. Together, they formed a new idol group, Sagittaria. And now that Diana had backup, she was raring for a rematch with McNally. The Fort McNally Club was understandably thrown off by all this, but still they accepted the challenge. Outside on the school field, Sagittaria revealed their next surprise. A full-size pair of stages ready and waiting for their match. Ashley revealed that she had brought over the stages in a special pod with the ability to shrink and grow objects, courtesy of her rich father. Hmm, the wonders of new technology, it would seem. Both groups transformed in preparation for the match. The Fort McNally members took their standard idol forms, Diana became Lady Luminous, Rosette became the Roman goddess-inspired Dame Divine, and Ashley became the cute 50s pinup girl Flora Fantastic. The groups agreed to spar to a song called Downpour, trading verses and choruses back and forth while launching magic attacks across at each other from one stage to another. According to the rules, the last one standing would be the winners. At first, the McNally idols seemed to be holding up well. 
That was, until Violence Violet sent a barrage of psychic energy daggers over to Sagittarius' stage. Flora Fantastic responded to this by throwing up a magic barrier, which bounced the attack straight back at McNally's side. Unprepared for this sudden counterattack, all the McNally idols got hit by the daggers, which prompted a shouting match to break out amongst them. The daggers have to go in that direction. <laughs> Break their stage if you have to, I don't care. Vivi, I, th I thought this was a sparring session, why? These daggers really hurt. Uh, can, can you do something else, please? Something that doesn't hurt us so much. Vivi found herself the target of her group's frustrations, and in response to her teammates provoking her to retaliate, she called upon far more psychic energy than even she knew she could. I, uh, Vivi looks very obviously, uh, like even her, her sort of unnaturally pale appearance when she's, when she's transformed kind of heats up in a, in an embarrassed blush and she says, fine. And then thrusts both hands up into the air and, uh, attempts to just destroy the stage. This is just losing, losing all sense of composure and, and just, like, fine, tear it all down. Vivi managed to summon not just a new wave of energy daggers, but a massive cloud of them, all pointed directly down at Sagittarius' stage. Luckily, Dame Divine conjured angel wings for her groupmates, allowing them to fly out of harm's way, but their stage was annihilated by the sheer force of Vivi's attack. The worst was yet to come, however. In the chaos of all the shouting and the flying daggers, Queen Bee's powers surged out of control as well. This summoned a wave of bees that all zeroed in on the first target they could find, and with Sagittaria out of range, that target ended up being... Karen. Vivi, overwhelmed by everything, fled the scene in a panic. Queen Bee regained control of as many bees as she could. Anne helped with swatting duty, and Elementum used his wind magic to blow away the rest. With Queen Bee tending to Karen's stings, Bane Raven set her sights on Sagittaria. She was enraged at them for starting all this. She used her super strength to launch herself straight up in the air at the trio, uppercutting Lady Luminous in the jaw and knocking her clean out of the air. On her way down, Thane Raven also pulled Dame Divine and Flora Fantastic down with her, slamming them both into the ground so hard that they detransformed. And I stand up, and I say, we're the last ones standing. In the next few days following, video of the so-called downpour incident went viral online and made a few local headlines. Not as many as one might expect, since collateral damage from super idol battles had become a much more common occurrence over the past 15 years, but it was still enough to make all the members of the Fort McNally Idol Club hide in their rooms sulking for the rest of the weekend. It's all over. The, the videos are all over Twitter. We, that was our first first battle and we we essentially wiped ourselves out 
was uh, it was kind of the end of the world. We were a complete disaster, and Alan uh, was the worst. Anne has mainly been kind of like working out intensely. That's kind of like her de-stressor, I feel. She would not tell any of her family what's going on, and she's got the lock on her room. The trust is gone between them, so she usually doesn't talk to them at all. Maybe. I, I wasn't supposed to have this power anyway. Maybe maybe there is a reason for that. Maybe I didn't get any any powers because I shouldn't have them because I'm just going to hurt people because I was never going to be an idol and I... <sighs> Some were thankfully able to recover after a while. Jaden had a comforting talk with his aunt Jen who gave him an early birthday present in the form of an old electric guitar that she used to play back in college. Jaden showed the guitar off to his little sister Alicia, and he regained his confidence by transforming and performing a song for her. I think as he transforms, he probably starts getting a little bit more comfortable with um, the strumming of the guitar. But yeah, he just keeps playing for her. I think Jaden is like, oh, he's he can't stop smiling. I think seeing his sister so excited is it's probably one of one of the other reasons why he's doing this. So he's smiling from ear to ear. Yeah, and she says, "I don't know how you lost before, but you are absolutely never gonna lose again. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life." Thank you. Alan, feeling immense guilt for what they did as Queen Bee, made a care package and apology letter for Karen. They went over to her basement apartment as Alan, pretending to be just a delivery person who didn't know what was up. Karen, knowing that Alan was a student at Fort McNally, nonetheless invited them in for tea and conversation. Alan listened to her as she reminisced about the past few years that she'd spent with Amberly in the Fort McNally Idol Club. Can't be easy. I mean, like, you think it's just gonna be dancing and being awesome and just having these powers and then it just hits you that they're real. Yeah, I I don't think the world has really accepted that uh, in terms of what they're really capable of. They're still pretty cool though. <laughs> she grins. Why do you think I'm still in this club? <laughs> I, I may not have powers of my own, but I'm a big supporter of anyone who takes the risk that comes with it and still tries to bring smiles to people's faces. Very nice way to put it. Makes for an interesting interesting world. Valerie had a comforting talk with her sister, Alice, but was thrown back into turmoil by a call from the head of Rain Shadow Records, Mary Rain herself. Mary had apparently been very impressed by Valerie's display of power during the downpour incident. Well, of course, I will be performing as the, the lead in the group's uh, next performance, so I would have to perform no less. There is just one teensy thing I need to ask from you, though, about this, Violet. Yes? 
remember that I gave you these powers for a reason. Audiences don't just come out for the music anymore. They're all there for the light show, for the sound and the fury, for the thrill of seeing all that we still don't know about our universe and this magnificent phenomenon that has blessed our world. You are a fountain of power now, Violence Violet. You've shown me that much. And during this performance, I need you to prove to me that you are grateful for it. Of course. I want to be an idol more than more than anything, and you'll see that come through in the performance. I expect nothing less, Violence Violet. Angie visited her friend and dance mentor Kyle, the head of an underground dance battle circuit that she participated in sometimes behind her parents' backs. Over the course of Angie venting to him, Kyle realized that he had met Ashley from Sagittaria somewhere before. She had been by the dance battle warehouse in recent weeks, and had apparently been trying to sell them on some of the same stage technology that she had used during Downpour. I don't know why she'd want to try and hawk her daddy's products towards a bunch of us who, I don't know, let's be honest, we clearly can't afford it. Like, we just can't. I think she said it was like, the, the company's like Crimson Signal or something like that. It, so- it even sounds like kind of sinister and stuff. Hmm. She pulls out her cell phone and she just types Crimson Signal in like her notepad app just to look them up later. Lastly, Anne met up with her close friend Drew at the local abandoned warehouse district, as one does. Drew comforted Anne and helped her take out her frustrations on some empty beer bottles, until the two noticed a group of shady figures in suits nearby. Interestingly, they noticed Ashley was with them. Anne and Drew followed the group to one of the warehouses and listened in from outside a window. They weren't able to catch much from their vantage point, but they did hear something about a specialized core at the heart of the shrinking stages, as well as something about Crimson Signal's business interests. And like Anna just slumped her head because she's just aware that this is some super villain bullshit she's in now. What? What did we just hear? Who do we tell about this? Like, is it even something we need to tell? Is this just like how business people do shit? True. Listen to me. You didn't see anything. Do not tell anyone you were there. Do not say anything. If Do not put yourself in the way it is. Okay, I'll take care of it. Before the whole group could come together again, a few things happened. First, on Labor Day Monday, Alan and Angie ran into each other at the Paradise Shopping Center, although Angie was, of course, unaware that Alan was Queen Bee. While there, the two encountered a flashy, ice-themed super-idol named Zero Degrees, whose unstable powers ended up threatening to freeze the entire mall concourse. Long story short, the two ended up dance-battling with Zero Degrees. Come on, what show do you think you're listening to? And over the course of the fight, Alan transformed into Queen Bee, revealing her secret to Angie. <laughs> you're not going to give up, are you? This is your time to shine. You don't have anybody upstaging you aside from me. <laughs> oh. 
please. What's that? That's just some dime store bad guy act. You wanna see a heel? I'll show you a heel. <laughs> Zed agrees. Crouch low and then kind of dash towards. We've got a close up with speed lines as Zed agrees is yelling, Poise! Grace! Perfection! You lunge at me and I just grab your wrist, flip around, and dip you like it's a tango. Ooh. Holy shit! And then kick your legs from under you and let you fall. <laughs> In the uh, moment that there's the hold, a bunch of like rose petals made of ice flutter across the screen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as as, uh, as Zero Degrees goes, oh, shit, and then you drop him and he hits the ground. <laughs> the two were able to get both Zero Degrees' powers and emotions under control, but not before Angie wiped out on her butt after slipping on the ice. And as it turned out, a popular Idolgram star named Papaya had been in the crowd for the show and caught this wipeout on video. Queen Bee managed to negotiate with Papaya and got her to delete the embarrassing footage in exchange for agreeing to attend an upcoming tour of Crimson Signal headquarters. Apparently, Papaya had connections with these folks as well. After the chaos settled, Angie talked with Alan about their newly revealed secret. So I was kind of hoping I was going to be able to keep this up longer, but that this is it. I did transform. So yeah, my name's Alan. Nice to meet you. Uh, Angie did transforms as well. Uh, nice to meet you, Alan. Do you prefer... She or he or they, and she's asking Alan this just to. That's because probably the, the first time someone asked Alan that, and they're, they're a bit conflicted. Like, uh, when I'm Queen B, it's she. But now, just like anything goes, they. Yeah, I can do that. Thank you. Later, after Alan and Angie talked things over and left, a mysterious figure in a cloak made out of fog appeared in Zero Degrees' dressing room. From their sleeve, they shot out a strange red card, which attached itself to Zero Degrees' chest and restricted his movements, allowing the figure to take Zero Degrees away with them in a mysterious portal also made of fog. Meanwhile, Valerie rounded up Jaden and Anne to go to the Neon District and check out the Stormlight to make preparations for their gig. At the venue, they met the intimidating but warm-hearted bouncer Petra, as well as another group who was rehearsing on the main stage, called the Extensions. The Extensions were a hair metal band in more than one sense of the word. And by that, I mean, all of the members were able to control their instruments with their own hair. Phoebe's calm mask kind of kind of breaks for a moment as she just looks horrified at this. I'm kind of into what they're playing. The hair thing. <clears throat> Never mind. I get my aunt said if I don't have anything nice to say, I'm not say anything at all. 
This is the worst thing I have ever seen. (laughs) The leader of the extensions, Twiddle, took a fast liking to the idols of Fort McNally and offered to watch them play and give them tips. Two things prevented this session from getting very far. First was the reveal that Twiddle and the rest of the extensions were from another dimension. Possibly another another Texas. It was a whole other thing. So I just look at Jade, I'm like, uh, here's, 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 the th- here's the thing. So I am from a town in te- Texas where everything is bigger. That's where the saying came from. It's called Biggerville. And so our hair comes comes from the oil of Texas. Oh. We're all Texans from Biggerville. And that's, that's, oh. and that's I don't, you've seen, you've seen, you, you of course have heard of it. Yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have. Perfect. Oh, no, I'm not really from here, so yeah. everything's new to me. Exactly. Who's from anywhere? Um. Anyway, where they were from, point being, uh, sentient hair creatures exist. So that's some lore for the story. The second was the arrival of three agents from C-Sharp, or Canadian Superhuman Activities Response and Planning. They had come to take the extensions in for questioning, by force if necessary. Vivi, Elementum, and Anne defended the extensions, and Twiddle did some impressive fighting of his own. This ultimately proved unnecessary, however, when Twiddle realized that all the agents wanted to question them about was their home dimension. No, wait, wait, that's that's because we're from another dimension? I thought it was because all the crimes we keep doing. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, <laughs> somehow, C Sharp and the extensions came to an agreement, and they drove off into the sunset in a bus made of hair. Seriously, do not ask. This was an episode. Anyway, after Vivi, Elementum, and Anne went their separate ways for the night, the same foggy figure from Zero Degrees' dressing room manifested behind Anne on an empty city street. The figure shot out a red card to restrain her and pulled her through a portal into a dimension full of fog. Drew was trapped there as well, and though Anne and Drew struggled against the effects of the cards, they couldn't break free, and they were led away the same as Zero Degrees had been. The next day, the rest of the McNally Club minus Anne, of course, but also Karen for some reason, met up again at last. After some talk about the incident and their various Labor Day weekend excitements, the group agreed that they needed to focus on gig prep. They went to book the school auditorium for practice, and there they ran into the head of the drama club, another gothic Lolita named Yasmin Brennan. There was some brief arguing with Yasmin due to tensions between the prior year's idol club and the drama club, but they soon smoothed things out as best they could and agreed on a shared schedule for using the auditorium. During the talk with Yasmin, the club members realized they still didn't have a name for their idol group, which is kind of important. They returned to the club room to deliberate for a while, before eventually settling on rhythmics. A combination of the words rhythm and mix with a capital M connecting them in the middle. The name represented the different styles of all the group members coming together into one unified sound. Still, everyone felt like it was it was missing something. This, it, 
It needs a little more, like an oomph of something. And as they pondered what about it they could change, they received a message in their group chat from Karen that simply said, X. So they added another X to the end of the name, and they agreed it was weirdly perfect. Had Karen somehow heard their conversation, or was it simply a stray butt text? Who can say? The next weekend, the club split up again. Queen Bee took Angie to tour the Crimson Signal building, as she had promised to Papaya. The tour didn't result in much, but Bee and Angie did meet two people of note. The first was Sasha Lemuse, the former mega-idol turned founder of Starforge Records. She had apparently seen footage of Queen Bee and Angie fighting Zero Degrees, and was very impressed by their dance skills. She gave them both her business card, and offered to act as a reference if they ever wanted to enter Cadence's prestigious Sing Star tournament. And the second person of note was Clayton Cervantes, the CEO of Crimson Signal. He turned out to be of even greater interest, and not only because of his shady-ass company, but also because it turned out that Cervantes had known Angie's parents years ago. Andy was a massive dick on top of that. Yeah, he's a total dick. I bet that's Ashley's dad. Hmm. Can see where she gets it from. Yeah. Well, I mean, you kick this daughter's ass. You're probably gonna get a chance to kick his, too. Oh yeah, I did kick her ass, didn't I? Oh yeah, you did. Apart from that, Angie and Queen Bee heard speeches from Papaya and the head scientist Dr. Renard, and they identified a suspicious guarded door on the far end of the lobby that piqued their interest. They attempted to investigate the door, only to get thrown out of the building for attempted trespassing. Whoops. Meanwhile, Valerie and Jaden went over to Karen's place to workshop the song that Jaden had written for Rhythmics. Karen apparently had her own dedicated recording space, which she had set up during previous years with the Idol Club. Jaden and Valerie put the space to good use, and after some coaxing, they even got to jam out with Karen a bit. There was a slight hitch when Valerie received another call from Mary Rain about the gig, which shot her internal tension levels through the roof again. Jaden and Karen could both tell that the call had made Valerie uncomfortable, though, and they both actively worked to make Valerie feel at ease again. Valerie, are you... are you okay? Oh, of, of course. You know, the studio's resources are one of the things that I am bringing to the group, so um, I'm glad that uh, everyone else can keep up. Well, I think Jane goes, oh, while, while you were um, on the phone, we actually did a, added a few more changes, and he just kind of tries to... Because he saw that um, Valerie seemed a lot more relaxed when they were working on the music, so <laughs> she's trying to like jump back in and hopefully help. Uh -huh. Valerie relaxed a bit more by jumping back into the music. The evening finished with a visit from Amberly, who came to drop off cookies for Karen. The group talked and took a selfie together, and by the time they were ready to go home, even Valerie had to admit to herself that she was having fun. After we leave, Valerie starts to walk and realizes that it's maybe gotten late, and then messages her, her sister Alice and says, Sorry need pick up longer than expected hanging out with friends. 
and I don't think that Valerie notices this, but Alice would, that this is uh, the first time that she's said uh, friends instead of the group. Never mind that odd black sphere that mysteriously appeared in the background of their selfie. That could wait. For now, anyway. After the weekend, the members of Rhythmics really started to worry more about Anne, who still hadn't been back to school or answered any of their calls and texts. They went out to the Neon District to retrace Anne's steps and search for clues to her whereabouts. The search resulted in some unexpected attention and a surprise meeting with one of Jaden's favorite idol groups, the Bomb Bomb Brothers. I think Jaden's probably like hiding behind um, Angie. <laughs> he kind of like peeks out from behind her, like, "Can I, um, can I get your autographs, please?" Angie kind of tries to gently like push him so that he can be front and center. <laughs> be like, "It's okay, it's okay. They seem cool." And the, the brother in the middle kind of like runs his fingers through his like silky boy band type hair and says, well, we certainly can't ignore our fans, especially the ones who uh, found our secret show. Jaden is very close to swooning on the spot, but he's, he's keeping it together enough. <laughs> it's cool. I've got him. I'll just like catch him <laughs> if he faints. <laughs> but it wasn't until they reached a certain lonely side street that they found a helpful clue. Reaching out with his powers, Jaden pulled together water particles in the air and read the magical energies contained within them. Sensing something amiss, he pushed his powers even further, to the point where he almost felt like he was reaching into another plane of existence. And for a brief moment, he managed to manifest the silhouette of a misty, hooded figure for everyone to see, before it dissipated into the air once more. Following this, Rhythmix searched online for idols in Cadence with fog or vapor powers. The only vapor-based idol they could find was a member of Vape or Wave, a two-man outfit consisting of Vape, who could control water vapor, and Wave, who could walk on water and clouds. The duo had a show coming up later in the week, and so Rhythmics resolved to go there next in their search. While waiting for the day of the show, Rhythmics commenced choreography and rehearsals for their gig, working with the drama club to learn the ins and outs of the auditorium and tech area. During that time, the group also helped work out some old bad blood between the drama club and Karen. The fact that Karen could even have bad blood with anyone came as a shock, but in the end, they were able to help re-establish some trust between her and Yasmin. Eventually, the day of the Vaporwave show arrived, and the group snuck their way into an 18-plus lounge to see them perform. Angie ended up being drawn into performing on stage with them, not sure how that keeps happening, and she impressed both Vape and Wave with her dance moves. Oh man, that was sick. What, uh, who the fuck are you? What's your, what's your name? You're amazing. Oh, I'm uh, I'm Bane Raven, and I'm just uh, you know a dance enthusiast. Okay, well, let us know if you like ever want to do anything again, because you are totally on our level. You like our vibe. Holy shit, man! Yeah, why don't you give us your social media handle or whatever? After the show, it became quickly apparent that neither Vape nor Wave 
had any idea what was up with Anne's disappearance. The two were just a cute gay couple with a mildly unpleasant vaping habit. What can I say? Not a lot of places will let you, like, vape vigorously and constantly, so we kind of have to take what we can get. That is such a shame. I mean, it's such a... It's the healthier alternative. Yeah, it's like... It's like a real drag, you know? I'm so lucky. Like, vape, he... All I do is, like, search YouTube for random anime clips, and he makes this beautiful shit with it. Honestly. And he he gives uh, Vape a little peck on the cheek. Aww. Aww. And Vape is like, Aww, stop it. No, I can't be suspicious of them. They're great. Oh, no. I like (laughs) them now. (laughs) Yeah, now I like them. (laughs) The visit was not fruitless, however. Jaden was able to find a magic energy signature similar to the one from the Neon District, and it was inside Vape or Wave's stage. Furthermore, there was a point where Jaden felt like he sensed some other magical energy disappearing from within the stage. Vape, Wave, and Angie were all noticeably drained after performing, even more so than would be expected. Given all this, it seemed reasonable to conclude that something inside this stage, which had been provided to Vaporwave by Crimson Signal as part of a sponsorship deal, something about this stage had sapped some of their magical energy away. Now Rhythmix had even more reason to go back to Crimson Signal HQ at some point, as this shady new tech company seemed the most likely lead behind Anne's disappearance. Before they could do that, though, the gig was coming up that weekend, and it would be big trouble for them if they missed it. Despite everything else going on, rehearsals were going surprisingly well, and it seemed that Jaden's song would be ready to serve as the big finisher for their set. They were so confident in their abilities that Queen Bee even took it upon herself to write a smug letter to Sagittaria inviting them to the show. To the members of Sagittaria, you are cordially invited to attend Fort McNally's Idol Club's inaugural concert to be held this Saturday at the Stormlight. Tickets will be reserved in your name. Best wishes, Rhythmics. This, it turned out, was a mistake. The night before the gig, Valerie's assistant at Rain Shadow Records, Grace, called the group to inform them that the setup for the gig had changed last minute. For some reason, Sagittaria had contacted the venue and demanded the show be turned into a rematch between themselves and Rhythmics. And Rain Shadow Records had agreed to this change on account of the viral publicity that it was sure to draw. On the plus side, This meant that the gig was now moving to the Stormlight main stage, rather than their smaller amateur stage. On the downside, this threw Rhythmix's entire show into jeopardy. If they didn't win this rematch, they would lose the right to play out the rest of their set, and all of their hard work would be for nothing. Yasmin and the Drama Club overheard this news and agreed to help Rhythmix hone some of their stage fighting skills for the match. The two clubs spent the rest of the evening practicing together, 
and before everyone headed home, they received one last piece of correspondence from Tyra Presley. Who is Tyra Presley, you may ask? Why, none other than the former president of the Fort MacArthur Idol Club, whom Diana had ousted prior to the downpour incident. Oh, goody! Tyra sent the group a handwritten note bidding them to meet her the next morning at Lansbury Park, a neutral zone of sorts between Fort McNally and Fort MacArthur. Despite some reservations, the group agreed to at least go and hear what she had to say. So, the morning of the gig, Rhythmics met Tyra at the park. Why why did you want to meet with us? Um... Let's just say I wasn't quite expecting a young upstart to be able to turn my entire club on me. (laughs) And I would much prefer if we can put things back to how they were. And how is that relevant to us? Because you've already done half of my legwork for me. You made Diana's group look, let's just say, pathetic. And that has hurt Diana's credibility with the rest of the club. They're willing to give her another chance because clearly she's serious about things. But if she fails again in a very public fashion, it's going to be very clear to the rest of the club that she does not actually have what it takes to take us on the road to success. So... I'm hoping that we can strike a bit of a partnership here. I'm willing to offer you a bit of assistance with the show, if need be. So you're offering to sabotage Sagittaria during the show? Precisely. Jaden just kind of looks back at the rest of the group, just a little bit wide-eyed. Um, can I talk to everyone for a moment? Valerie briefly considered Tyra's offer, but was talked out of it by the rest of Rhythmics. Tyra accepted their no in a surprisingly casual manner, and she did offer them one piece of help regardless of their answer. Diana had been training up a few new club members to add to Sagittaria's roster, bringing their total up to six performing members. In addition to Lady Luminous, Dame Divine, and Flora Fantastic, They would also have an acrobat named Sister Spectacular, a psychic sword fighter named Empath Esquire, and a peppy sports enthusiast named Maid Marvelous. Rhythmics sat with that knowledge the rest of the day leading up to the gig. During that time, Angie, who had not told her family about her powers up to that point, finally told them about everything and invited them to see her at the show. Angie is nervous. So nervous that the night before, when one of her parents might have asked her what her plans were for Saturday, she might have told them that she had a gig. I think your your parents aren't sure how to react, but they do know that they do want to like support you, especially since like before everything happened, you were on track to like go to starve you whether you had powers or not. Yeah, so I guess it's a way that I still get to dance and do my thing. Now everyone's families would be there to cheer them on. Even Jaden's family from the UK would be able to watch via Skype as Petra the Bouncer held up her phone in the audience for them. 
Later, in the green room at the Stormlight, the group transformed to their idol forms. Violence Violet gave an encouraging speech to raise everyone's spirits, and also finally apologized for what had happened during the downpour incident. I'm sorry that I I lost control, and I know everyone kind of fell apart after that point, but I, I just left without trying to help or apologizing and but as far as I'm concerned this isn't this isn't a violence violet show this is this is a group show this this is a rhythmics show and I'm really proud to be part of this group I put a hand on Valerie's shoulder you know I didn't think you had it in you to apologize I'm glad I was wrong let's destroy them Jaden will just go up to um, Valerie and just say, Can I hug you? Okay. And Jaden just give the most big, big old hug. Valerie just accepts the hug with her arms at her side. Um, thank you. She doesn't really know what to say in the moment. Right now I feel like Angie's a little more nerves and stuff, so... Yeah, she's like, thank you. And then when Jaden's hugging her, she kind of like does that awkward pat on her back kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Vivi's pep talk and their practice from the night before, Rhythmix went into the rematch with a bang. They very smartly targeted most of their efforts on Diana, and to everyone's surprise, she was the first to be knocked off the stage and out of the competition. Diana fumed as the rest of her club kept fighting, but the next big target, Flora Fantastic, aka Ashley, was knocked out soon after. It seemed that Rhythmix's teamwork and powers were simply too great a force to be reckoned with. But not all good things can last. The first major hitch happened when Maid Marvelous made her way up onto a platform where Elementum was playing drums. Despite the fall of two of her teammates, it seemed like Maid Marvelous was having a great time. So great a time, in fact, that she ignored direct orders from Diana and used her idol power. Her idol power, which was to turn herself into a Shetland pony. <laughs> With her powerful pony back legs, Maid Marvelous kicked Elementum clear across the stage. A pony? What? Why are you a goddamn pony? Reeling from the pain, Elementum snapped at his groupmates in a way that he normally never did. Why did you all leave me alone? I just got kicked off the pedestal by a pony. And I'm just going to gesture to the pony. <laughs> As Vivi and Queen Bee encouraged Elementum and got him to his feet, Thane Raven rushed over and revenge punched the pony off stage with her super strength. Still, that was not enough to quell Elementum's anger and frustration. I think right now it's probably the least positive Jaden has looked. He's not smiling, and he kind of just turns and glares, and the ground kind of quakes, and then a rocky hand just like bursts out of the ground, and then another, and just a rock golem emerges from out in front of her from the ground to make a construct, an animated construct. A rocky humanoid construct pulled itself up onto the stage, fully in Elementum's control. 
For the time being, all it had to do was intimidate the members of Sagittaria into hesitating, which let Bane Raven handily knock another member off stage. In retaliation, Dame Divine formed a sword with her feather powers and took a cue from her opponents by targeting the group leader, Vivi. While Vivi was able to keep Dame Divine distracted from the rest of her team, she paid the price by taking a direct hit from the sword, which hit hard enough to immediately transform her back into Valerie. Luckily, she was standing close enough to the edge of the stage and in shadow that her identity wasn't immediately apparent, but phones in the audience raised quickly, trying to catch a glimpse of who Violence Violet really was. The rest of Rhythmix rallied around Valerie, protecting her both from harm and prying eyes. Queen Bee, in particular, was furious about this. That hits close to home. You don't rip someone's mask off in, on a stage. She ripped apart Dame Divine's magic wings with her bare hands, but getting that close left her vulnerable to another attack. Dame Divine struck with her sword again, knocking Queen Bee off the stage. Sister Spectacular rushed towards the vulnerable Valerie, but Bane Raven was able to defend and use her momentum against her, throwing Spectacular off the stage as well. That left Dame Divine as the one remaining threat. Luckily for Rhythmix, Elementum Stone Golem was still ready and raring to go. He's gonna look to the Stone Golem and then what you see is like its right arm kind of like crumbles off and it's replaced with just, it's like magma in the form of an arm and then its legs kind of crumble and are replaced with just like a single swirling tornado and its right arm crumbles off and is replaced with like floating, flowing water. This fearsome elemental beast charged full tilt at Dame Divine, careening off stage with her with such force that they both hit the power barrier protecting the audience. The impact caused a surge in the barrier that sent sparks flying everywhere. Thankfully, the barrier held firm otherwise, but the audience was shaken nonetheless. Still, despite the slight scare, Rhythmix stood triumphant alone on the stage. So there's like a moment when the music stops and Bane Raven is panting. And then she just does like a yeah! The entire crowd erupted into applause. Everyone who had supported them in their journey up to now was there in the audience. Family, friends, and fellow idols alike. Finally. Finally, it was done. Or so it would seem. If Diana had been angry before, she was enraged now that she and her entire team had lost so very, very badly. She raised her bow and arrow from the orchestra pit and aimed at Valerie, whose back was still turned to the audience. Diana let an energy arrow fly, and while the arrow had a blunted head, the impact still seared into Valerie's back and sent her to the ground, reeling in pain. Venue security quickly restrained Diana and removed her from the premises, but it didn't matter. She'd done what she wanted. Seemed that Tyra would have no trouble retaking her title after this.
Rhythmics took Valerie back to the green room, and they all recovered over a round of fancy sodas. Transforming back into Violence Violet helped Valerie heal her wound somewhat, and the group took some time to enjoy their victory. They knew they had more work ahead of them. They had to continue investigating Crimson's signal as soon as possible. For now, though, they could take pride in this win at the very least. After some rest, the group made their way back out to the stage and played their set as originally intended. And they, of course, ended the set on Jaden's original song entitled I Am The Violence. end of the number, the group finished with a move they had practiced to perfection in rehearsals. Vivi stabbed her psychic sword into the floor and stood strong in center stage as Bane Raven and Queen Bee raised Elementum up in a cheerleader-style lift behind her. Bane Raven generated a wave of fireworks around them as Elementum raised both hands to the sky, shooting out two spectacular jets of flame. The audience roared around them. This was Rhythmics. And now, everyone knew they were headed straight for the top. Everyone, including one short, mischievous girl in the audience, who had come to the show with her father that night, and who now had no doubt in her mind that she needed to join Rhythmics. Thank you for listening to this summary of Arc 1 of Super Idols RPG. You can continue the story from here with Episode 20, Lucia. Or, if you're listening to this way in the future, by jumping forward to the Arc 2 summary. Thanks so very, very much again to all our players from Arc 1. Dane Alexa as Valerie slash Violence Violet. T as Angie slash Bane Raven. Michelle as Cynthia. Draconic says Jaden slash Elementum, Luca as Alan slash Queen Bee, and Maria Fanning as Anne. Thanks as well to all our guest players and voice actors for this arc. Nathan Blades as Zero Degrees, Joel Ruiz as Twiddle, Lee Alder as Vape, and Eric Seguinte as Wave. You can find links to all their social media in the description, as well as a link to our website, and information on the music and sound effects used for this summary. I've been your GM and narrator, Aaron Cerise. Thank you again for listening, stay well, and goodbye until next time! <laughs> <laughs>